So before this episode begins, I'd like to just say that the audio on my end is shit for the first 25 minutes. Sorry about that. This episode was recorded remotely, and the program I was using wouldn't allow me to play my own audio into my headphones, so I couldn't hear what I sounded like while recording. The only thing I had to go on was looking at the waveform. Uh, turns out that I made the amateur mistake of recording using my shitty computer mic rather than the microphone I'm using right now. Uh, so, luckily, I realized that and got it fixed, but it sounds pretty bad for a little while. I'd also like to preface this conversation by saying that there were several things that Jared said that I wanted to rebut, but didn't. An example that comes to mind is the claim that the wars and horrific death toll of the 20th century are due to atheism. Needless to say, I find this claim ridiculous, yet there are large amounts of people who take it seriously. I don't want to make this preamble any longer than it needs to be, so I won't present an argument against it here. Instead, I'll link a few articles you can read if you find that line of thinking compelling. Um, anyway, with that out of the way, enjoy the episode. All right, so... I haven't done one of these in a while, actually, so I'm sorry to any oh, yeah. listeners that uh, were disappointed by that. It's been like two months or so since I last recorded the podcast. But um, welcome to the Regular People Podcast, and I'm Wade Allen, the host, I guess, and today I'm joined by Jared. Hi. What's up, man? First off, um, before we get into any actual conversation, if you could just, you know, Describe yourself, who you are, perhaps if you want some specific, specific direction to go with, you could talk about the last like five years of your life, maybe what you've been doing with it, so maybe school, work, or like interests, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, ever, I went to school around, or college, around 15, oddly enough. I went for psychology, having no clue what I wanted to do because I was homeschooled, so I was able to go a little bit earlier. And... um kind of jumped straight into the mental health fields, which I've been doing since then. Uh, I've grown to hate it as much as I'm very good at it. I'm tired of it. So I'm trying to look at uh, different options on how to switch. I'm finishing up my four year right now because I'm going back to school and I'm um, going to get my MBA afterwards. Hopefully um, once this recession business is out of the way, I can um, buy up some assets to help me start a business. No idea what that's going to be. I presume nationalism is going to come back to America within the next five to 10 years. So maybe some natural resources, uh, businesses might be a good avenue to pursue. Um, but until then I'm working and I've been in the mental health field, probably prof not professionally. I was, a I I worked at RTFs, which is a residential treatment facility for a number of years. And I switched over to substance abuse when I got tired of getting my ass kicked by, um, psych psychotic you know, individuals. So. <laughs> Now that's what I'm doing right now, working in operations. Yeah, I've been working from home for the past year or so. I've been listening and to every podcast and book I can get my hands on and then reading everything I can possibly get my hands on. Uh, I found out I'm obsessed with economics, which is, which is a new obsession of mine. That's kind of the, what I've been looking at recently, which is uh, funny because I got into economics right before this whole nonsense of a uh, economic collapse started going on in the US and with the world. So, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Cool. So where are you living right now? 
East Coast. East Coast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have a bit of a time difference, but not that big of one. Um, yeah, we started talking because um, he sent me an email, and we've been talking on Discord for the last couple of months, planning on doing a podcast, but never quite getting around to it until now. <laughs> so it's good to have that happen. So yeah, you said interest in economics. Um, what exactly is the interest, or what do you have a specific, um, I guess, yeah, so- economic theory that you? Proposed well, I, like I can tell you how I can tell you how it all started. So I started working. I, I during the summer of like 2021, I like quit my mental health job because I was completely mentally burned out, and I kind of just took a break, taking like an easy job, and then I got um I went from that, which was very like intensive, like physically, uh, not mentally but physically, and then I jumped into operations where I'm at now, and I work from home, and. I've been, I was super bored all the time because my job is not, it, it's tedious, but I can get it done pretty quickly for the most part. And I'm, like I said, I, I'm relatively good at it. So it's not like strenuous. And so I started getting into cryptocurrency and this was in like, I think, what was it? August. Um, there was the crypto boom going on. Um, it was like 2021 yeah. and yeah. I was like fascinated by it. And I was like, oh my God, what the heck is this? And I started like learning about it. And I learned the economics of cryptocurrency, why it was created, things like that. And then I got obsessed with not losing my money because it's so volatile. And I was just like, how can I not lose my all of the money that I just put into cryptocurrency? I didn't lose any, by the way. I got completely, I think I leveled out almost to the zero. I zeroed out. So I didn't lose any, but I didn't make any. I almost yeah. lost so much though. But I started watching YouTube videos like crazy. And then I started reading books. And then I started doing all this stuff. And I got like really into economics on accident. And I was just like, oh my God, this is crazy. So it's funny because like now I can go on like TradingView and I can look at it and I can just like, oh, the stock's going to do X, Y, and Z. I can go look at the fundamentals and the technicals. And then I go and I go, oh, wait, I was right. Like I'm like, I'm really good at like picking it out now. So um, that was like completely accidental. I had no idea that economics was so fascinating to me. But then the whole uh, recession talks started to go on and then i was like oh i know what that is i know what's going to happen next i know what to buy um things like that like for example with the our economy is about to go to shit you need to buy physical items food basic like the prepper stuff um and then you want to buy things like gold and you want to have liquidity available on the sidelines like cash so you can buy things on the cheap that's what you're supposed to do and so like i knew that just by an accident so i thought that was actually kind of funny that i uh, stumbled into the so does that mean that have you been making any money now off of investments and stuff? No. So I am waiting on the sidelines. I'm waiting for Bitcoin to hit 20K. And then I'm going to start buying the microcaps. Microcaps is a when you list your currency or whatever on a system, like an exchange or whatever, they give you, um, they, they value it. And they give it a, val- a base value of like, like one, like crypto cap is like one trillion right now. All of cryptocurrency the total value of all the assets, and by the way, most of this is just shit coins, um, is worth one trillion. Um, and this is valued by coin market cap. And the same thing is with Wall Street, they'll value your company. And they divide it up into different coins or stocks, whichever, and then they give that out for you to buy up. Um, it's completely overvalued right now. Um, it's still overvalued even at one trillion and it's dumped like crazy. It's worth almost nothing. Blockchain technology is worth money, not um, not cryptocurrency as it is, but the 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 assets are not are not doing good right now. They yeah, Dogecoin the best... is one that I 
uh, made some money off of. But when I sold it, it was at like 25 cents or something. And now it's down to six again. I, I was part of the original Reddit thread in the Discord. I was, it was the money team Discord. I, I was literally, I was there from the beginning and I was there when it crashed. I, it was very funny to watch because everyone lost money and it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of sad because I have some Bitcoin. So watching it just continually go down is not fun. No, it's not. But, you know, it's, I mean, this is my logic. Bitcoin is a good idea. It was built on a solid foundation, but it needs a lot of work. Like if you, you can go on like, I think on YouTube, they have like an MIT breakdown of cryptocurrency. The idiot at the SEC, whoever the heck runs it, um, did a whole course on it. They have it for free, I think. He explains it and breaks it down. Um, yeah, it's it's good to hold. Um, definitely hold it. I think that it's probably going to go up, just my, my, my speculation. Wall Street has so much money in it, it's not even funny. I can go on, the, I can look right now and I can see all of the institutions that have money in it. They're not selling. The people who are selling is the algorithms and the people like you and me. They're the ones who are selling. Wall Street's FOMOing into this thing. And I think they're going to pump it. So my, I mean, if my, I'm going to be buying close to the bottom. I hate bottom fishing, but um, that's a term we use where you're trying to like, it's called catching a knife. Like it drops like a knife and you have to catch the knife, but you don't want to get stabbed. You have to like catch it just right before oh, you pop back oh. up. But yeah, that's that's the goal. <laughs> so I'm trying to wait until Bitcoin hits 20k, but the economy has to get worse for that to happen. Yeah. So the YouTube videos and the books that you were reading were primarily about economics. No, everything. Oh. I I need constant input. I have really bad ADHD. Like if you give me a task on a computer, I have to have auditory and visual, like in the distracting wise, while I'm working. I can't focus. Yeah. It's so boring. So I have to read books. Then. <laughs> Huh? Does that make it hard to read books then? Books are usually in the evening uh, when I'm just sitting. Um, usually I'll have music playing in the background. Oh, okay. With ADHD, do you, do you notice like a different amount of attention that you have at certain points of the day? Like, does it fluctuate up and down? 100%, yeah. Um, well, and then also I have inflammatory depression too. So depending on what I eat, it'll affect my ability to concentrate as well. Hmm. Yeah. So anyone with anyone with depression um, or anxiety, you get inflammation on from it goes from like the sides of your head and it'll go all the way to the back. It's the the, the occipital lobe in the back is what inflammates, um, and it starts in the center and it'll culminate in the back uh, where your I call it like the the animalistic part of your brain that's like in the center. Um, that'll inflammate and that can affect your ability to focus and multitask too. I drink these with like vitamin B twelve. They help a lot uh, keep it like suppressed during um, when I have my my shifts and mood. Wait, what is it you're drinking? Oh, so this is Jocko, uh, Jocko Go. It's literally, um, you know, Jordan P. I found him on Jordan Peterson. He literally is like this ex-Navy SEAL. He has this whole brand of like all natural, really good products. And I have yet to find a product that performs like his stuff. I don't know. It's a little bit more expensive, but I love it because like it doesn't give me any bad like side effects this is at wawa by the way um so it's called jocko go i I love all this stuff i buy his uh supplements there too well not from there from other places but yeah i love his stuff it helps a lot with um i hate taking medicine i've been i've been in the mental health field way too long i know exactly what medications do to the body over time it's not I, i don't like what it does and so i try to have um all natural alternatives or close to it as much as possible Okay, I'm yeah, I'm always skeptical when people talk about uh, you know all natural 
supplements or you know things like when people say superfoods you didn't say that but um just made me think of it yeah that kind of I mean, that's that, that's, realm. that's definitely a, a strange topic i mean there was a whole campaign in the 1900s slandering this stuff in academia i mean i forget which book that i read i think it was the lucifer principle yeah he was giving read it. oh it's probably my favorite book by far it's literally he breaks down human nature into three aspects genes memes and the animal brain uh he brings up this actually exact topic of um uh pharma pharmacon versus all natural and he literally says this was a whole academia issue that um pharmacon slandered the ever-living hell out of the uh the naturalists or uh, there's a term for it and they want the the pharma one which is why big pharma is so big right now yeah i mean on the same side of it though i also am skeptical and not very i don't feel great about big pharma either yeah i don't know yeah. i don't like the, whole, the culture of you know people who are 50 years old and they've got a whole medicine cabinet full of pills that they have to take each day to survive yep. or to yep. maintain their low standard but of living but making sure it doesn't get even lower yep it's i don't know i don't know what the right answer is because it seems like on the, the naturalist side of things to me it feels like a lot of over promising Oh, of course. Like, you know, t- drink this special tea; it'll cure your cancer. Kind that's, of thing. That's not. Yeah, that's that's not what that is. You, so your body has a requires a certain amount of nutrients to function optimally. I mean, right. even in other cultures, like you know, when you speak to people in like sub-Saharan Africa, and I'm talking about the tribunals, I'm not talking about the developed areas. They're not super intelligent, but when you look at their diet, they can't be because they don't eat enough supplements for their brain to function like ours do. So like they have the capacity to be just as smart as me or you, but they don't have the input and the nutrients for their brains to assist them in expending the additional energy and using it like we do in America. So, I mean, it does have an effect, but like how the hell do you measure that empirically? You don't, or if you do, it's going to be trillions of dollars. Yeah. I think that's one of the, that's a type of claim that I'm going to need some sort of study to, to show, oh, of course. especially considering that like the standard American diet doesn't seem very uh, nutritionally adequate. Well, it's primarily seed oils. So yeah, seed oils and then it's high um, in calories. Yeah, it's definitely got enough calories to maintain human being. I mean, maintain multiple human beings in one, one person's worth, right. one person's diet. But I don't know about uh, diversity of nutrition and getting all of your, your vitamins in this, what most Americans consume. So I'm skeptical. Well, it, it, I will, you should be skeptical, but like, I mean, and from my perspective, it's what, what, so we, every, every organ has different needs that for it to function optimally. Right. The problem is depending on what you want to do with that organ. So like I can use my brain just for basic survival and building a hut. Right. But if I want to do complex math equations, I don't know that eating rice and, you know, grazing on roots is going to make that optimal to do eight hours a day. You know, so, I mean, I feel like there's a lot more research that needs to be done for us to say, make any claims like this. But I mean, at the same time, I feel like you can kind of look at this and go, eh, (laughs) there is something to be said. Yeah. I mean, there might be, but I also wonder how much of mathematical skill comes just down to practice and the amount of exposure you have to it. For instance, you Mm -hmm. know, if you pluck someone out of a rice field and just tell them to start doing calculus, they're not going to be good at it. They won't even know what it is. But, you know, if you give them 20 years of practice, like you do a child who goes to public school in mm-hmm. Western countries, then 
of course they'll be good at it because they spent the last 20 years that, doing that it. Would be, doing that it. would be a very interesting study to be conducted. You would have uh, two children, one plucked from like, I mean, you can even do the same cultures, but only, or even the same culture and go just based off of diet, same IQ, yeah. same everything, and just adjust their diets and see how they, how they do. I would be curious to see the results, the results of that. Me too. It'd be a hard study to pull off though, because in order to get good results, you'd have to do it for like 20 years. It's hard to maintain someone's diet for that that's, long. That's very, very true. Even in like, um, like longitudinal studies, it's like, there's mm -hmm. all these factors that you can't really for, know for sure are actually being met. Because you could say, yep. we, we told this person to follow this diet, but it's not like you were monitoring them the whole time. Yep. So they come back six weeks later and they said they're only eating fish and eggs and that's what you're studying. But I don't know, who knows what they really ate in that time. Yep. So I don't know, it's a lot of confounding factors and objectively studying the world, which sucks. Yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, it would also assist us in kind of like proving a lot of things that we call facts now. I mean, like for yeah. you brought up Big Pharma. Big Pharma makes all sorts of claims and I, I read their papers and I'm just like, your guys' baseline data, like if you go on any big, like look at the Pfizer papers, for example, for this previous COVID vaccine, like you go look and you read through the data and it's just like, guys, your, your, your baseline studies are not meeting criteria for like other studies. Like we, we need to go back and redo this, but like they don't and no one, no one talk, no one, no one goes back and redoes the studies. They don't. And if they redact it, no one ever talks about it. So like me and you are probably citing claims right now for all sorts of information, like vitamin deficiencies or climate change. We can go back and find these papers. And it was like, oh, it was redacted three years ago. And it's still being cited by common papers today. And it's a, it's a mess. Academia is a mess right now, dude. It's so hard to find out what's true and what's not anymore. And it's it's kind of breaking down, honestly. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially for just like the common person who, uh, you know, usually at least ideally could rely on journalism and the world around them to on average tell them what's true it seems like that is definitely not the case anymore if it ever was the case yeah now it's one news source is telling you one thing and then somebody else is listening to a different news source has a completely different worldview yeah i i my my perspective on i mean this hyper novelization of truth like i mean we live in a time period where i mean we don't have different opinions we have different facts Right. And that's just really dangerous. I mean, I don't, I don't know how civilization keeps in a world like that, you know? And it's, I mean, it's, it's probably always been a thing that that was true. Just maybe the different quote unquote facts were in different civilizations. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. one group of people believed this and one group of people believed that, but they didn't live together and now they live together. I was reading some of the founding fathers writings like Thomas Jefferson um, some of his journals. Thomas Jefferson was shitting on New York in like 1790 for being too liberal. Like that was 1790. The founding father was shitting on a state for being too liberal. Like you can go back and like look up Jefferson's journals. Like we've had this problem since day one. So uh, <laughs> I mean, this has been a, I mean, I was reading some of the New York Times article or whatever the heck that newspaper was back then. They were like slandering presidents in like 1801. I mean, like this has been, I think this has just been a problem forever, honestly. Yeah, I mean, right. you can find political cartoons from ages ago and they're just yeah. doing the same thing we do now, yeah. Although I wonder if it's just worse or seemingly worse now because access to information is much greater than it was when, you know, George Washington was around. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's one of the, re that's one of the things the elitists um, 
are talking about constantly. They're talking about con- taking hijacking control of the narrative. That way, they can't people can't receive different ideas. I mean, they tried that in Soviet Russia. It didn't really work out too well because it doesn't exist anymore as a country. But um, <laughs> you know, centralization of thought is something that's attempted quite often, and I, I think that it's appealing to leaders when they see how divided we are because of the internet. But yeah, this is definitely, I think, a problem that needs to be talked about for at least a year every day yeah. by a bunch of different politicians. Yeah. If I remember right, it's um, the same kind of explosion of political disruption or like disagreement between people and their worldviews happened uh, right after the uh, Gutenberg printing press. Oh, yeah, that was a huge. I, I told you about this. Um, I told you about the Puritans, about how the printing press, it like made everyone go insane. Yeah. Like they literally like the pure, like I, the, if you look at um, the woke today, the woke ideologies, like you look at how they act and they're a bunch of crazy people. But I can put on a side by side comparison. I can break down the personality traits of the Puritans and I can break down the person tra- personality traits of the woke. Their ideologies are separate, but the way they act is the same. They're extremely like radicalized and I can go look at the Catholic church and I can go look at like the MAGA crowd and they're exactly the same. They're just a bunch of crazy people. And I, I think whenever we get booms in technology, people just go insane. Um, yeah. And then they calm down once. I don't know why civil war would have to be in the question, but I feel like once they fight it out they're they calm down. I mean, this happened after uh, world war one, like during after the Gilded age, everyone was going insane. Like the, the rich were like buying golden toilets and they didn't have running water or something like it was just insane things all the time. Right. And the poor were going insane. They went to war and everyone was fine. Like it was like, oh, let's go fight the, the, the Germans and then the Nazis. And it's like, oh, everything's great. And we have 80 years of peace. Like the, all they have to do is get this aggression out of their system, which, by the way, is why I'm pro-war is because people go insane when you give them this culture of safety. And it's just like, guys, like go kill each other, calm down. And then we'll we'll come we'll come resettle and then we'll come be chilling for another eight years. Like <laughs> so the solution in your eyes is to make things a lot worse so that they can be better because it's like oh, you know, everybody's, everybody's crazy and then a couple million people kill each other and then yeah. You know, well, I mean, I, I this this is one of the books that I read that bothered me greatly greatly when I read it, but it makes sense. I think it was called The Great Cycle or something. It was, um, who wrote it? It was one of the big, I think I sent you this guy's name, by the way. Uh, one of Altus, that uh, narcissistic guy that I showed you that video of. It's one of his mentors. It was a great wave. The Great Wave, that's what it is. Uh, it details population boom and bust cycles. And every single time we go through a bust cycle, everyone goes literally insane. And this is followed by mass famine, tyranny, um, war, and plague. Does David Hackett Fisher sound right? Yep, that's it. David Hackett okay. Fisher. He's probably arguably one of the best historians out there. He does have a, a, a Christian lens, but it's not overwhelming. Um, it doesn't interfere too much with the, uh, the documentation or his writings. The book is called The Great Wave, Christ Revolutions, Revolutions and the Rhythm of History. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What's his, Ray Dalio uh, wrote another one called, um, let me actually look it up so I can give you the right name. I literally just read this like three months ago. I should know. It is, oh, The Changing World Order. Uh, you know, there's the fourth turning. All of them pretty much have the same topic, which is boom and bust cycles. People, generally speaking, wealth inequality happens. Um, 
followed by famine and then war and tyranny. I don't know why when humans get too big, but then when they get too big in number, they start to like attack it to attack themselves. Almost like an autoimmune disorder attacks the body. That's kind of how I can best describe it. And I can kind of see this in America today when I see like Americans with like self-flagellating themselves. Like you see this with like the white, the white privilege, you know, woke crowd where they're just like, oh, I'm such a guilty person. Like they have like this guilt fetish. It's like an autoimmune disorder attacking itself, like mimetically speaking. And I I think this is just normal. I think, I think it just happens when populations get too big, they can't function anymore. But it wouldn't be a certain specific bigness because obviously as time goes by, especially within the last hundred years, the amount of people is just getting bigger and bigger. So it's, yeah, and I, I like think that because the amount of, oh, well, we, well like, and this, is, this is another thing. So we had a population boom, but we also had the resource production boom as well. But I was looking at a chart of from like, I think it was like 1890. I mean, like the chart went like, it was just, it was, mo- it went up a little bit every couple hundred years, and then it would go back down. Around like the 1900s, it like 100x. Like we've never seen population growth that we know of in recorded history like this. And I completely understand why everyone's going insane because we can't, sust- I mean, I'm, I'm not, I hate when people talk about depopulation because it's going to happen naturally anyway. We're going to at minimum half. But I understand like when we boom like this, like it, it was bound to have a bust cycle at some point and the bust cycle is going to be really bad. I mean, there's no way that it doesn't. All right, well, I realized the audio recorder um, was not actually using my microphone that I have specifically for this purpose. It was using my shitty computer microphone. So now audio will be better, but that's okay. Awesome. It happens. All sorts of problems. I've done one other um, podcast that was not in person, and the uh-huh. audio there was, had a little bit of issues too. So, And when I listen to other people's podcasts and they're not in person, mm-hmm. it's usually a slight uh, decrease in quality, and I think it's fine. People can handle it. Right. All right. So, yeah, um, you're just talking about the boom and bust cycles. Yeah. Um, and you said the next bust is going to be much worse than... Yeah, it's going to have to be. There's no way. Because I can go back. I am I love history because I'm, I'm someone who likes to be in control of things. And so when I see that history is cyclical, or rather that it rhymes, it doesn't exactly repeat itself. But the same kind of things happen again and again. Boom and bust cycles do happen. So we didn't really have a plague like we were supposed to. I don't know. I think it's because our medicine is just so good today. I mean, every other time we've had a plague like this, we've lost way more people. So I mean, percentage wise, percentage wise, yeah. Like COVID should have killed way more than it did. We were we got very lucky with how mild that it was. And I know people are like, oh, a lot of people died. Yeah, a lot of people died. A lot more people should have. If you look at the CDC's original projections. I mean, we, we didn't get anything in comparison. Yeah, it was a pretty, I mean, it's still bad, but as bad as it could have been or other viruses yeah. are that exist. Yeah, it could have been yeah. much more. Well, I mean, it also, this was one of the first times that it wasn't a bacteria too. So that's also different. Every time we get a bacteria is when we typically lose a lot of people with the exception of smallpox. Uh, that one I think was a little bit different, but no, the black plague, for example, was bacteria. Um, that's one of the concerns with antibiotics. Uh, they're concerned oh, that another yeah. black plague is going to come around and there's nothing we can do because you cannot vaccinate for bacteria. It doesn't work. So, um, well, um, there are things we can do. 
and uh, that, that plays into some of my interests, but we don't have to go there because I've talked about that a lot and uh, other things I've made. But basically, short short story is that uh, you know you've got some um, antibacterial um, resistance happening because uh, you're pumping all of the animals and animal, animal agriculture throughout the world, of the billions of them, up with yeah. uh, antibiotics, yeah. and bacteria have much shorter you know generations than we do much so they evolve much quicker and can adapt much yep. quicker to things that we're trying to kill them with so they're just getting better and better suited to uh confound us and, and go around our efforts to kill them to the yep. point where now they'll spread easily as they often do as you know a lot of new diseases spread zoonotically from animals to humans if uh, we have some superbugs that are inside of the intestines of cows yeah, basically, uh, if you've got superbugs that are very resistant bacteria, um, slowly developing over time, or even quickly developing in the bodies of animals that we're going to then eat, then some percentage of them will leak over into our bodies and kill us without us being able to fight back against them because now they're got too many tricks up their sleeves. Yeah, and then we'll all die. Or that's a lot of that's definitely a risk. Yeah. No, I think I mean, that's one. That was like that's one of the concerns with. Um, a lot of the, I would say, the elitists going on today, they're terrified of the next plague. Bill Gates is one who just will not shut up about it. I, th- I think that th- that's actually something that the people with a lot of power and money are legitimately concerned about. Yeah. I mean, I just Seems went through so. and I went through and read Klaus Schwab's every one of his books because he freaks me out and he looks like a James Bond villain. Um, I, so I don't even think I've heard of that guy. What's his name? Klaus Schwab. Klaus? Everyone needs Schwab. to know his name and everyone needs to know what he does. <laughs> Executive chairman of the World Economic Forum? Yes. <laughs> I've seen his face before. I just didn't know his yes. name. Yes. He, he is a... Uh, I, I don't trust him and I've read all of his books and he is very concerned with disease and he's also concerned about not having top-down control over everything you could possibly think of. And he's... you. What he has done is unite all of the financial elites, all the bankers, everyone. And he is trying to have what's called stakeholder capitalism. So it's not shareholder capitalism and it's not state capitalism. It's stakeholder. The earth is a stakeholder. They are stakeholders and the people are stakeholders. And their goal is to have a... It's not one size fits all, but it's like whatever they think works is what they want. So you can look at the COVID response. They had a one size fits all COVID response across Europe, for example. And the WHO coordinated with the WEF and they made it one size fits all, which is why a lot of people died in hospitals. So if you were unvaccinated, you were considered do not resuscitate. And then they would just give you a bunch of medicine. And I'm not, I'm not joking, by the way, you could go on the WHO website and you can look at this for yourself. Like this is, and it, this is not conspiratorial. And this is something that they've been pushing for quite some time, which is why I'm very concerned about the food supply because they're trying to do like climate change aspects and they're trying to change like de like for example, the gas. I'm very concerned that they're going to do it with gas very too early and start decreasing when we need to increase because we, we need gasoline to switch to green energy. And they're doing it too early because they're scared of climate change. And I think that's a very bad idea. But this top-down you know, governance that they're coordinating yeah. with our politicians is very concerning to me, which is why I went and read all of his books. And it didn't make you feel any better? 
reading those books? Uh, no. So he's a narcissist, um, and it's very clear when you read him. Uh, he's also very bureaucratic. He tries oh. everything he does, and uh, I don't know. I the financial sector, everyone knows this guy's name. Larry Fink uh, is another one. They they all have the same echo chambers, and so they make policies mm-hmm. and they force their. Let, let, let's say that I have a company. Um, and I want money and I go to BlackRock and I get a loan from him and my company is 60% funded by him or his people. He'll be like, oh, by the way, uh, you have to decrease carbon emissions in three years or I'm cutting your funding. Well, sir, I pump gas. I mean, I am a gasoline producer. I don't know how to do that. Oh, tough shit. And it's just like, um, that's not, we, we can't, that's not functional. Like I can go back into Soviet Russia and look at the exact same policies, and I can show you where 13 million Ukrainians starved to death because of that. And I was like, I, I saw this happening, and I'm just like, this is not something that I'm okay with. And I I'm like I like hearing our politicians talk about this, because our politicians are now talking about this, because they're seeing it too. And so <laughs> this is something that I'm concerned about. When you say they had the exact same policies, you just do mean forcing companies to behave certain ways to cause them to disappear or no, no, no. do you mean so, literally about the gas? Right. So there's something called the ESG cartel. I call it the cartel, uh, environmental social governance. You can Google this. Most websites that are public have ESG. If you ever see uh, jobs with uh, diversity, equity, inclusivity, they are an ESG company. They likely have Vanguard or BlackRock or someone managing them. I understand why it looks good from the perspective of the top down, like Klaus and Larry, they, they, they want this because they want from their perspective to have an equal and an equitable society. And I understand that, but companies are not taking it that way. They're just doing the bare minimum, very shitty job, by the way, the bare minimum. And it's having knock on effects. They're hiring people that are not qualified based on the color of their skin. Like they're decreasing our gasoline reserves because they it's it helps their their ESG score. It doesn't. It's not working the way it was intended to work. And because they're in echo chambers, they don't know this. Does that make sense? That's why it's concerning. I don't think that these people are inherently evil. I think they're disconnected and their policies are having knock on effects that I don't think people are understanding. We're about to go through a famine uh, come winter time. This could have been completely unavoidable. This goes completely avoidable. I can go and show you the food yields. I can see our agriculture is under attack. When you look and you follow the money, the money's leaving agriculture and oil because of methane and things like that. Because so, like I said, it goes back to ESG, environmental, social governments, the environmental factors of farming. So, for example, tractors need diesel fuel. Why are we shutting down diesel refineries? Well, because people, investors are pulling their money away from it because they're moving to green energy. Okay, well, do we have tractors that run on green energy? No. Okay, so how are we supposed to harvest our food? I don't know. Well, hold on. Where globalism is collapsing, we're giving Russia the silent treatment. They give us all of our fertilizer. How are we supposed to grow food? I don't know. They don't have an answer because it's top down. It doesn't work. I understand we want to switch to green energy. I understand that it's super important because you know, climate change does cause problems. I mean, it's going to make life kind of shitty for us. At the same time, we have to do this correctly because if we don't, we're going to lose a lot more population than we otherwise would have. That's so, why I'm concerned about these kinds of people. Do you have any ideas of what the correct way to do it would be? I think that these financial people, 
Um, when I say this, I'm referring to the CEOs and the billionaires. I don't hate wealthy people. I'm not like, oh, they're trying to decrease the population, things like that. They are very disconnected. And I know who their advisors are because I've looked into this excessively. I mean, uh, the guy who wrote Sapiens, for example, is an advisor to Klaus Schwab. You've all know the, Harari? Yes. Lovely book. The man is not giving him facts. I see what he's told him. That's not true. He's disconnected because he's also an elite. Any examples of that? Like, what so he, they, he gives them climate. A lot of the things they're talking about is like climate change, right? Climate change is a problem. The world's not going to end by 2030 if we don't do anything. We, this is very, uh, this is, this is adjustable. Uh, so let me give you a very detailed example. So they're saying Antarctica is melting. The, it's going to kill everyone, right? It's going to, the, the, the way the waters are going to come up and they're going to flood everything. I can send you a academic article right now. I can go pull it up. They found coral reef skeletons in Antarctica. How does that happen? Well, that tells me that Earth Obviously, Antarctica, our, our South Pole, well, somewhere else, okay? Which makes sense because, you know, the, our magnetic fields, they shift, they move around, they have cycles. Everything has cycles on this planet. And they're using Antarctica as a point for climate change. Where's the data to tell you that this is not our magnetic field shifting or uh, swapping? So, for example, our equator has not always been the way it has. Uh, it actually looked a little bit different about 12,000 years ago. Why is no one talking about this? Why is no one talking about the grand solar minimum, which is a 400-year cycle of our sunspots going in and out? By the way, this is, once again, this is NASA and NOAA. This, I'm not talking out of my ass. I'm not citing YouTubers. This is actual academic studies that we've talked about. They don't bring these up, and they don't correlate these. They're just like, oh, cow farts are going in the air, and Antarctica is melting. It's like, okay, stop the cow farts. Okay, well, well let's, let's talk about that. Like, what are the knock-on effects? The same thing with diesel. I get very, very concerned because these elitists are not taking into account everything and they're, they're just cherry picking opinions and they're making policies that are affecting everyone. And it concerns me. Well, surely you've all know Harari wasn't telling uh, him, whoever he's advising, that the world is going to end by 2030 if we don't do no, anything no, about no, it. No, no, I'm, no, I'm not. But more that they need to do something by yes. 2030. Yeah. So I'm giving you an example though. Cause like you have historic, like for example, Bill Gates is giving me advice about uh, viruses. The man builds computers. Why are you telling me about viruses? You know, it's things like that. Like they overstep their knowledge base. Well, I mean, surely someone like Bill Gates with a lot of time on his hands over the past 20 years, cause he's not even the CEO of Microsoft anymore can research other things. I would hope so. Have but, researchers who report yeah, to them about these I, things. I, I really hope so. Like I said, I, I don't, I, I just get concerned because I see consequences and I see, like I said, I, I just look at money. I, I see where money is leaving and I see that it's having knock on effects that I'm currently living through today. For example, why is gas prices going up so much? It's not because of Putin. Why is it going up so much? Well, one thing I did see is that um, I guess recently, maybe like two weeks ago or something, Congress is trying to vote on uh, price gouging, like restrictions on gas. Yeah, price so gouging. They, tr they tried that in 1970. That created gas lines. Gas stations just did not have gas because the oil man, oil just oil obtained, like the refineries just didn't send it out because they're just like, I'm losing profit on this. I'm just not going to give you gas. I'll just hold on to my asset. Right. And then that created the gas lines in the 1970s. Every time Congress does something, it makes things worse. But the reason that gas is so expensive is because the Federal Reserve printed $5 trillion. Every 
ounce of inflation that you are experiencing today is because the Federal Reserve printed $5 trillion. Why did they do that? It's, n- it's because of COVID, but why did they choose $5 trillion? It's because they had echo chambers of, a, and this, this goes back to the elitists, right? Because whether it's political, whether it's CEOs, financial, they are elitists. They think that their way is the best way because they have all the money and influence. And well, because- they wanted to give 4.5 trillion of that to large companies. Did they? Because they gave uh, like so. they gave like 300 million dollars to Egypt. Like they they split that up everywhere. Like they they did not give this money where they think they that people went. I you can go and look at it by the way. I can tell you exactly where all that went. All right. I, I, what I'm saying is they didn't give it to um you know like regular uh, people. Right. They, so they, they they didn't. And here's the thing though is so when you print money that money gets put in the economy. It has to land somewhere. So when you, if you want to create a wealth transfer, there's two ways to do it. You can steal it, or you can create hyperinflation, which causes uh, consumers to spend more money, and then that money ends up in the hands of CEOs. So we just had a wealth transfer. Again, we had one in the 1980s. We had one in the 1920s, sorry, 30s for the Great Depression. And the wealth transfer is still going on. Why? Why the Fed should know better? What incentivized Jerome Powell to do this? By the way, uh, full transparency, I think Jerome Powell is a criminal, and he should be in prison along with Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary. They are criminals, and they are only listened to the oligarchs of this world. They don't listen to anyone else. They're not subordinate to us. They're unelected officials. I mean, I assume they do it because they're beholden to all these sorts of other rich people who they can't take yes. money from. So, so they they're, they're created from nothing. They are beholden to the people with money. The people with money right. are causing a lot of the problems we're experiencing today, which is brings me back to my fears from like the elitists at places like Davos. This is a huge concern for me. These people concern me and they concern me because of history. If they had just existed and they were new, I wouldn't care. The problem is this has happened before. We've seen this in the 19, 1913 with John D. Rockefeller and the... Jekyll Island's conspiracy. We saw this with the Holy Roman Empire after Rome fell. The conspiracy of the wealthy to come together to create the Catholic Church, which they seized power. I mean, we've we've seen this with the Babylon, with the religious elite, where like everyone was starving, and there was like this transfer, like this they they worked out like a deal with the uh, I think it was the Assyrians. I mean, this has happened before. And it concerns me because I don't want it to happen again, because I don't want life to be miserable for the, my family and my friends and presumably children if I ever have those. You know, I want I want life to get better. I don't want it to get worse right. because top down structures, which is why I get concerned. And so I want everyone to understand we need to be paying attention to these kinds of things. Like if the average American understood how the monetary system worked, there would be riots tonight. In what way? Because if they what actually write about the fact that they don't actually own anything. Right. We I think people know that they're just, they can't like, they are maybe too disenfranchised or, you know, yeah. they feel powerless. So, so they don't do anything about it because of that. Yeah. I mean, I feel so like people like, know that they don't actually even own their house or yeah. You know, you, car yeah. Or, stop paying taxes for one year on your house and watch how quickly you lose your fully paid off house. I know it's very funny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't even own the land that you no. buy. No. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah, I don't fully under... I, the problem is this keeps happening. So, like, I don't understand why the people keep repeating the same mistakes, but I guess over time, like, these things just happen. Like, I'm fully expecting tyranny in my lifetime. 
I'm fully expecting by the time I'm 20, 30 years old, sorry, I'm 24, so 30, 35, to live in a tyrannical society. Canada currently has a tyrant. It's Justin Trudeau. What do you mean by tyrant then? Someone who... I feel like if, if Justin Trudeau is on your scale of what a tyrant is, that's a large scale. Well, no, like okay, wide, well, hold on, scale. hold on. So that, that is a wide scale. So let's bring up Castro. Castro was I called like, well, maybe not even Castro. So there's soft power and there's hard power. Hitler and Stalin were hard power. Soft power would be like Justin Trudeau. It's someone so who... Distinction? I bring up this distinction to explain a lot of things. So I might repeat this. There's toxic okay. femininity and there's toxic masculinity. And sure. depending on the personality is how this manifests. So if you are an authoritarian, depending on your personality is what kind of tyranny you're going to use. So we can look at Freud's Oedipal Mother. She literally smothers her child to death. That is a form of authoritarian parenting. That's just that has psychological effects that are negatively impacting, just like an abusive drunk father. So um, when I look at Justin Trudeau, he's an authoritarian in a way that's soft, like a mother. It's a soft tyrant. So it's psychological. She's, he smothers his people in order to, for them to be reliant on him so he can maintain power. Whereas with Hitler, he just murders you because he wants you to be scared of him. That's toxic masculinity. Does a tyrant or that kind of uh, government not have anything to do with the ability to get someone out of office or to elect someone else? For instance, uh, Canada is still a democracy, right? Oh, of course. Um, well, that's that's loose. I don't think democracy really exists the way people think it is. I have a question. So, well, like, yeah, not a pure democracy. Yeah. So, like, when you vote, how? I mean, this is a huge problem with democracy today. How do you know that your vote actually matters when we have the um, elected? Uh, what's the college? The college yeah, decides. The college. Yeah, they decide. So, does your vote actually matter? And that's a speculative question. You know, um, same thing with Canada. It's like, oh, well, we vote. Okay, well, you guys just spent two years hating Justin Trudeau and you spontaneously reelected him. And so then there's the question, okay, what's wrong with people? Like, do, do they want tyranny? Like, do, do they want Sometimes. less? Yeah, I mean, that's like, I look at New York, they, the number one cert, by the way, Pornhub has statistics. It's absolutely fascinating. I strongly <laughs> encourage you to look up Pornhub statistics. The number, one, the number one search result in New York City is BDSM. They're obsessed with submissiveness. I don't know why. It's New Yorkers. They're fucking weird. I love it, but it's weird as hell. Which is why they keep getting tyrannical <laughs> mares. But I mean, BDSM has two sides. True. One side is submissive. One side is I, I I get it, but I feel like there's a trend. I follow trends. I mean, if you have a BDSM, if number one research result in New York City is BDSM, there there's there's a trend there. And then I look at their mares. You don't know which and, way it goes. Maybe they're watching people, and they imagine themselves as the one who's tying you up. I, you know, that's the hope, but then they would be a little bit less. Uh, yeah, that that's specu that's some speculation there to be had, I guess. That's a conversation. But uh, yeah, the tyranny in general concerns me just like top down. I don't I don't like right. being a conspiracy theorist. I try to base everything I see on actual data that's peer reviewed. But I do to be honest, you gaps. do sound like one sometimes. Yeah, no, I do. I do. So the problem is I'll read data and then I'll add 25 percent of my own spin to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's but, something that thing, I usually do. The thing with the electoral college is um yeah, I kind of wish it didn't exist at all. But however, people often I think too much focus on just presidential elections, like the biggest of the big when it comes to voting and whether your vote matters. Mm -hmm. Your vote totally matters a lot more when yeah. it comes down to uh, local stuff. 
and then that especially that has, in america uh, yeah climbing upward effect yeah right because like you could you could vote for alderman and there's like 17 people who are even voting mm-hmm. and that your your vote matters a lot there and then you know alderman has minimal power and responsibility but it's still something yeah i mean that's definitely a trend you can see that with our governors like you look at florida i mean they've been a free they've been no covid for like two years um but you look at new york and they like just opened up like a couple of months ago so i mean definitely matters how your uh got your cut your state or you live your life even depending on who you vote for so that's definitely that's definitely true. yeah sometimes you go to a different state and yeah it feels almost like a different country oh 100 wildly the laws change yeah one other thing we had on our list of topics is religion and oh, that's fine we can talk about that yeah, you and I have some disagreements, but also some agreements on on religion. So you were talking about the Catholic Church a little bit and uh, seizing power, you know, back long ago. Um, how do you view the Catholic Church today? Uh, a lot like the military, religion is a necessary evil. People need to be told. Well, I don't agree with this. A lot of people, an uncomfortable number, need to be told how to think. Well, I guess that goes with the. Uh, sometimes people prefer tyranny correct so if you go back to humankind's when we were apes we lived in hierarchies the alpha male told you what to do and what not to do and then i suppose one day we stumbled across some mushrooms or something and everyone was like oh i exist (laughs) i don't know how that went about but um there's a lot of theories on that one yeah i don't know if any of them are that plausible we developed individualism which is where the problems of religion started to slowly spiral out of control. So religion is a social structure. It's also a purpose for life. So when the Catholic church comes and gives you a structure, it gives you a community and it gives you a purpose. Those people are far less likely to be like Maoist China, kill murdering each other and putting a tyrant in place because they have everything they need for offloading of the difficult questions of life. I mean, there's still a lot of murdering each other and t- tyranny that happens under religious governance, though, especially okay, if you look at so, Middle Eastern. Yeah, so that's uh, actually something countries. that we need to talk about, too. Religions typically start out, usually, religion is started out by a group of people, and the group of people have customs that come from a culture. Christianity is one of those. It's a Mesopotamian culture, it comes from the Hebrews. Over time, religion becomes less and less useful. So when it becomes less useful, it becomes less violent. Let me give you an example. So we can look at the Christian church. When you read the Bible, explain to me how I should address a fully cognitive clone of a human. How should I address a transgender? The Bible doesn't answer these questions. It doesn't have the capacity right. to answer these questions. I've read it front to back six times. I know I know exactly what's in it. Um, I was literally just reading it. Like I was reading Daniel the other day, actually. It doesn't work as societies become more complex. And so the religion has to either evolve or it has to be replaced. The Christianity is 2000 years old. That's yeah. it usually has a pyramid. So it's about 1000 years of a rise and then a 1000 year either stagnation and then it's a decline. Declines are typically pretty quick. We can look at Buddhism. Buddhism today is not what Buddhism originally was. It was it's a very mild thing. There are fundamentalist Buddhists. They currently carry machine guns and use fish hooks on people in Sri Lanka. If you don't believe me, Google it. 
religions become more mild over time as they evolve with the societies. So Christianity was a very intolerance, and then it became very tolerant over time as it integrated into society. We founded a country on Christianity. That's how integrated it was into society. Islam is a little bit different. Uh, it's not only is it a religion, it's a law system because it was made in a desert. So Christianity was, uh, and Buddhism for that matter, was founded in like a city. So there was already a structure there, whether there was tyrants who had, who gave the structure. So it was Roman tyranny in Christianity. And so they didn't need a law structure. They have a law structure in uh, Islam because there was no law structure in the desert. So they had to create both, which makes it more intolerant. But just like Christianity, it's going to slowly become less and less aggressive. Christianity became most aggressive during the Crusades. That's the top of the pyramid because there was a lot of rivals for Christianity. And when someone has a meme, they're attached to it. They attach to it very dearly and they cannot let go. And so they become aggressive when you start attacking their belief systems. Yeah, so it, it Islam is going to become more mild over time as it starts to integrate with societies. Yeah, I would expect that. But yeah, it but mean there there needs to be no, oh, of course, but there needs to be a new religion because we're moving into the age of Aquarius. What does that mean? So, okay, I'm sorry. I am not an astrology person, but I use astrology points as reference points for societies. So every 2,000 years, we have an ion. Uh, you can separate ions. We just came out of the ion of Pisces. The ion of Pisces was the age of Christianity, which was zero to 1,000, and then uh, Islam, which would be like 1,000 to now. Those were the dominant two fish, the two-headed fish. So you had a you had light like the societies, um, and then they had the the the, the great split. Um, now we're into the age of Aquarius, so we're no longer fish. We are now having to carry the water with us as our burden. It's very metaphorical. I encourage you to read Carl Jung. I sound like an idiot explaining it to you. Uh, read Ion by Carl Jung. He explains it using psychology. He does a very good job of it. But anyway, every single every two thousand years, we have kind of this shift on how society conducts itself. So Pisces is done. The kind of like nets of safety in terms of like ideologies is kind of gone. We're now in no man's land. We have nihilism running rampant. We have no purpose for life. What do we do, right? Because religions are pretty much dead. You know, we still have religion here, but it's not useful anymore. I mean, I, I look at Christians today and they're all screaming revelations. Like, oh, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. No, it's not like we have a long way to go. If you think if you think God's coming back right now, I'm sorry, he's not like we have to start moving on with more useful tools. Uh, so we have to carry the we have to create a structure for ourselves and we have to shoulder that burden of existence for ourselves to decide what it means for ourselves. Um, and I think that it's going to ultimately decide that's going to shift where society moves. Do you know, do you know the term deepity? Deepity? Yeah, it's like uh, something that's supposed to sound meaningful and profound, but is actually just nonsense. Like, uh, nonsense. Yeah, is that, that what is? is what that is what I feel like a lot of Carl Jung is. Gotcha. Because I feel like he's got a lot of these ideas that sound compelling and are interesting for sure, but they're not backed by any sort of actual objective standards. It's no, just of course you know not. what 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 Carl Jung felt was true about the world. It's mystical. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and it's so mystical, human nature is scientific. Oh, of course. Um, well, and I love pseudoscience. I don't think any of it's, I think most <laughs> of it's false, but I love it. But no, meaning is important, right? Um, so this is just how I um, compartmentalize the way things are moving. Sure. So I, I separate yeah. it by the ions. So okay. if we are a fish submerged in water, 
we have our we, we get told how to think we are submerged in it and we are submerged in like ideology so like we don't have anything countering it but now that we have the internet like now that we have science and we have evolution and we 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 start to know everything we know about the world is false we kind of have to just rather than being submerged in water we're gonna have to like just have our buckets and this is our belief systems and we have to like shoulder that, that sounds, as our burden that kind of explanation sounds like it's a um promotion or, or expectation of personal truth becoming important like a thing like yeah if everybody instead of sharing the water They've all yes. got their own. Yes, that's and, well, know, and that's of water. I literally said this earlier. I said everyone has their own facts. Right. I literally think that's where society is going. Society, so, then, no, so society is no longer swimming together. I think we're going to fracture yeah. off, and I think we're going to have tribes again once the population decline happens. By the way, Africa is going to lose at least a billion people next year. There's no way they're not. China is going to lose about half the population by 2030. Fit the you're seeing a billion people. Yes. One one eighth of humanity will die yes. next year. You're saying yes because of famine. So it's a it's a big claim. I well. So let me explain to you why globalism is collapsing. Globalism is collapsing right at the turn of the ion. It's it's not. It's impossible. Egypt is supposed gets one all of their grain from one country, right? That's a it's a huge population. They can barely grow their own food. Sub-Saharan Africa relies on the UN for almost all. Sorry, not Sub-Saharan. Africa in general relies on so much of the Wests to bring them their food. Uh, Eastern Europe is about to go through a massive problem. Turkey is about to start attacking people because everyone's pissing off Turkey. Turkey has a huge army. We're about to have proxy wars like mad. Africa is a huge amount of resources that we need for green energy. Yeah, and if you, I, I encourage you to, to research this. It's all going to center around food, water, and power. We are entering in, I, would, I don't want to call it World War III because it's not. It's proxy wars is what we're going to have. And Africa is going to get hit the worst in terms of population death. It's inevitable. Uh, you should research uh, the name Peter Zihan. He is a cent- he's going to be the next Henry Kissinger, 100%. There's no way he's not. Henry Kissinger, whenever he talks, everyone shuts up and listens. Peter Zihan is going to be the successor to Henry Kissinger, without a doubt. Eric Weinstein is actually the one who showed me him, honestly. He had this really good breakdown for the Military Institute for Technology about the whole geopolitical situation. And then I went and tried to fact check him, and he was right on everything. I mean, uh, he actually just came out with a new book, The Next End of the World is Only the Beginning or something. Yeah, I was just looking him up. I saw that. Uh, but yeah, he is definitely, uh, he, he's right on a lot of things, unfortunately. Um, oil, our oil, our oil yields are declining. We need oil to stay warm during the winter. Like, so we're, we're switching over to green energy. We're shutting down our oil plants. How are we supposed to stay warm? Like people in Canada, they're like, oh, we don't need oil. Okay, so you're going to just sleep in negative 30 degree weather. How are you not going to die? Because you can't burn wood. Because, you know, Trudeau says it creates smoke, which melts Antarctica or something. Like, it doesn't work. So we're going to lose people because uh, we have a lot of people in charge who are pushing top-down structures that are negatively impacting everyone. So it's mostly, we're going to die to stupidity um, of our elected officials or even unelected officials. But there's going to have knock-on effects in Africa specifically because they need us and we're not giving them anything seems like either die from the stupidity of our past by choosing to be so reliant on oil in the first place or die from the transition away from oil yeah so one thing that needs to happen is we need to move production nationally if we're going to so this is something that i've said for so long we if we're going to make an entire continent's reliance on our food should we not be able to produce our own food 
because the U.S. barely can do that. I mean, Europe can, can't even do that. They're so reliant on each other, and globalism is literally collapsing before our eyes. How is that How's supposed it collapsing? to work? So there's, it's a slow checkmate game. It starts with China. So Russia, by the way, we knew in 2014 that Russia was going to take Ukraine. It's only a matter of time. Historically speaking, well, Russia... Crimea. Yeah, in 2014 already. Um, yeah. Historically speaking, the Russians always do terrible the first year of war. Every single time. They, do the, they, they always do terrible. They also always throw their soldiers like cannon fodder. They do this every time. The only way to defeat the Russians is to kill all of their soldiers or um, cut off their oil. Those are the only two ways. Because, you know, when we deprive Russia, Ru I mean, privation to Russia is like apple pie is to America. They love privation. They love suffering. They don't care. There's nothing we can do to them that they're good. Putin's like, oh, go ahead. Starve my people. Do it. We love this. And he's going to send more soldiers. They literally had a giant convoy 40 miles long. They drove and ran out of gas and had to go back. Like, this is not us. These are not soldiers who, like, this is not a country that cares. Everything they have, they will throw at a task until it's completed or they all die. Which is why we're throwing so much money in Ukraine already. Because we have to turn Ukraine into a killing field. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But um, China is our the world's factory. They keep shutting down their factories on purpose. Because they need to stall America long enough to deprive their economy so they can attack Taiwan without us having enough money to respond. That's why they're playing this game right now of, oh, factories are shut down. Oh, we're opening up everything uh, in my country, but the factories are still closed because of COVID. It's like, okay, I see what you're doing there. This is pretty common. I know exactly what you're doing. You're, you're waiting for the Western economy to collapse because it's going to collapse. It's only a matter of time. I can show you. We have never seen the, the, an economy like today. It has never looked at this in history. It's going to be bad. And they're waiting on that. And the West is going to respond. We're going to cut off their oil. And that's going to affect Indonesia. We're already cutting off. We're switching to green energy over in Europe and America. Uh, Europe needs to go back to Africa to get oil. They need oil from Africa. They're going to have to go back to their colonies. How is that going to work? That's going to create problems. Eastern Europe is going to start probably attacking people as well. You have the Saudis as a problem. Like what's, what's stopping the Saudis from going and attacking America again? We have the perfect breeding grounds for proxy wars. And I think it's, it's going to have a lot of knock-on effects. I mean, globalism is what 20 in 2019 was the last of globalism in my personal opinion. I don't think that globalism is going to last. I think nationalism is going to become more popular. I think America and everyone else is going to start bringing their factories inward. And then we can, once we have those factories, we can then work on figuring out how to effectively eliminate carbon because we need gasoline to build those. But then we can work on green energy, like just throw solar panels out there, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not very efficient, but we can work on technology, start giving grants to um, colleges to work on this stuff. But we need to where we need the resources in country because globalism is not working anymore. And you don't think it will work in the future? Like it'll make a resurgence? I think, I think we're going to have allies. I think that's, I mean, honestly, this would, it would not surprise me if the U.S. invaded Mexico. I think the cartels are going to get more violent as time goes on. I think that Canada, I think that they're going to request that we take three of their provinces. I think Alberta and a couple of other ones are going to request to be U.S. country, or U.S. states, because they're so different from Ontario and Alberta. Not Alberta, Ontario and um, 
What's the other one that's liberal? They're too different. They're going to request to join us at some point. Either that or they're going to fight each other. There's no way. Um, they're too divided. But no, I think it's going to fracture. More divided than the states of U.S. are divided with each other. Have you seen? Have you seen someone from Alberta? Have you seen someone from Ontario? I can't say that I have. All right, it's like New York and Texas. Right, and New York and Texas are in the same country already. Right, yeah. and those are our most polarized states. So our most polarized states are New York, California, Florida, and Texas. Those are our most radical states. I think that if those states were closer to each other, I would expect militia attacks from both ends. They are separated by a lot of debt, by a lot of land. Luckily, we got lucky. Alberta is pretty fucking close to Ontario. I would expect some problems. And I think Justin Trudeau does too, which is why he was so aggressive with those truckers. He's protecting his sovereignty. All right, which one do you think, at least in the US, has more power? Corporations or the government? Like if I the think our corporations corporate, pay our government. Right. So if the, if the government, like we said before, is beholden to the corporations, wouldn't that mean the corporations have more power over it depend, you know, geopolitics? It, depend, it depends. So it depends on how aggressive the corporations get. So they can start assassinating politicians who they don't like. They've done that with Kennedy. You know, they can they can easily do that. Um, although Kennedy... Wait, they you're saying ass- corporations assassinated Kennedy? No, no. They did that. The CIA did that. They had to because he fucked up so bad with the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean that the, the, he was going to die anyway because he he was this, fucking, he was messing with the financial system. Nothing is proven. Nothing is true in this world. We all know that. Is it uh, close to being proven, or is it uh, so? Okay, here's closer the thing. to speculation. It's it's speculative, but we can kind of look at what's been allowed. Uh, what's his name? Oliver Stone, I think, did a art, did a documentary on this. Everything that he could find, uh, they pretty much pointed to the fact that. Um, Kennedy was taken out for political reasons, and I think everyone agreed it had to happen. Also, he was attacking the financial system. I think he was essentially going to give everyone free money, and that wasn't going to work for anyone. Although that's more speculative. I don't have any evidence to support that. I do have evidence to support the Cuban Missile Crisis. Fuck up. And there was embarrassment for the U.S., and I think he had to go. Nonetheless, (laughs) I do think that the corporations (laughs) have the potential to run this place through running the economy because guess what right. our politicians the economy is freaking out right our politicians have nothing they can't fix it like biden literally said i can't fix inflation you can jack up interest rates but guess who runs yeah. the fed jerome powell jerome powell subordinate to the uh, to the corporations so, so yeah the, cor- the corporations do run and they jerome powell does whatever he t- they tell him to if jerome powell was told crash the currency He's going to crash the currency because that's what he's paid to do. So then my uh, the reason I bring that up um, is because if corporations are more in control of uh, the economy and everything that's going on uh, in that domain than the government is, don't you think that would actually uh, at least form some sort of way that uh, globalism could remain intact because these companies have a vested interest in having the, their factories overseas so, so they can so pay their uh, the workers thing. as little as here's possible. Here's the thing. Citizens will not tolerate decrease, decrease quality of living. When corporations start messing with that, there will be riots. And it doesn't matter what they want. Like, what are you going to do? Have the military murder all your citizens? That's not going to work. You know, they can't force that. And so the citizens have the final say. We decide when we have had enough. So, for example, 2020, we 
all got, you know, put in our homes for a couple months. And then we all saw the video of um, George Floyd get murdered by a cop. They burned down a bunch of cities. And the corporations were like, Roger, that's something you care about. We're going to uh, start massive DEI hiring and put a bunch of flags everywhere supporting you. Um, And then we're going to hire, we're going to increase the amount of African-Americans that we hire. Corporations respond to violence. The problem is we live in a very civilized society and we have to be pushed pretty far. How far we're going to be pushed, I don't know. But we ultimately have the final say when we've had enough. And then the politicians can respond by regulating corporations. So the corporations have to be careful. They do have the most power, but that can be taken away very quickly. And they know that. So they have to play carefully with us. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, at least to some degree, uh, do accept decreases in standards of living. Of course. Because nowadays people, you know, the cost of your rent on average nationwide is like five times higher than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. People can barely afford. Although that's uh, because of that's, three jobs. that's solely because of inflation though. That's because we keep printing money. Well, um, my, my theory that I was coming up with earlier today is that it's because of uh, the existence of credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, no, our government too. So we have consumer credit and then we have government credit. So we have $30 trillion in debt. You're not going to tell me it does yeah. knock on effects to the economy. Because all right. that money, that, that trillions of dollars was put into the economy. That money has to land somewhere. It landed in real estate. That's why it's so expensive. Yeah, especially you don't have to actually buy your house or be able to even come close to affording it. I think that's going to come to an end. Credit score. I think it's going to come to an end very soon. I hope so. It makes no sense from, I mean, I guess it makes sense from a business standpoint, but it makes no sense from a simple humanitarian standpoint to have millions of empty houses in the country that nobody can afford. Yeah, I mean, I think Ray Dalio has a very good point. He says that capitalism is very good at raising people out of poverty, but it's also very efficient at putting them back in poverty. And so (laughs) one of the things he mentioned was regulating capitalism using socialism. He said that capitalism is really efficient. Free markets are really efficient. You don't want full socialism, but you also don't want full capitalism. I think his number was like 80-20. 80% free markets, 20% socialism to regulate the capitalism, which works. That way, uh, what's that? The the jubilee, right? Because over t- the way capitalism works is it operates on the Pareto, distri- Pareto distribution. So yeah, over, t- yeah. over time, everything will end up in the hands of the few because there's only so much money to go around. Once everyone uses all that money, it always ends up in one person's pocket. So they need a jubilee. Jubilee is when it gets redistributed. Not printed, but redistributed. Right. Socialism would allow a jubilee-like scenario for that to happen. It cannot yeah. happen right now. Like, for example, try to get Jeff Bezos. I don't care about to Jeff pay Bezos. more in taxes. Like, it's not even taxes. Ask him to start a bunch of schools. Ask oh, yeah. him to give you guys food. He's not going to do that. He wants to launch himself into space for literally no reason. I mean, like, yeah. it's fine if you want to spend your money. That's fine. You earned it. But you're going to have a lot of enemies. Pay them off. They learned this in fourth-century China. When he literally paid off all the generals who were his competitors, you have a lot of people around here. You need to do. You need to keep them calm because if you take all their money, they're going to kill you and take all the back. It's better to pay them off, give them something, so they don't kill yeah. you. Because we saw honestly, this so much in history. Honestly, every day I am surprised that somebody hasn't assassinated really any billionaire yet. Like, I, I just like I said, understand. I like, think. I think America is so mild. And like, I look at some of these radical militias, like on the right and the left, 
they are untrained and uncoordinated. Like I look at um, Antifa, I look at their tactics. If you get me and four other guys, we could easily dismantle a couple hundred of them because we know what we're doing. Because like we have education and military tactic and things like that. They're not coordinated. There was a freaking um, what's it that the the free people, white supremacist people. They were loading themselves into U-Hauls and they have riot shields. They're not coordinated at all. They don't know what the heck they're doing. They look the part, but they can't do anything for shit. So if someone's going to go assassinate a billionaire, they have to know what they're doing. And people who know what yeah. they're doing don't care. Like, if I well, wanted to, I could. But, like, I'm not going to because I don't care. We need them in our society for it to function. So, like, I'm not going to waste honestly, my time. I don't know how much you even need to know what you're doing to assassinate a billionaire because I imagine there's times where you can find any billionaire just walking in the street. Perhaps they have a bodyguard trailing them. That, that, but even used, still. To be the, that used to be the case. I'm assuming you're referring to the video of Jeff Bezos with his bodyguard in New York. Um, right. He was getting a taxi. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, I think, who was it? Once our, once our government started getting really involved in other countries around like the, like the late nineties, after Clinton opened up China trade, our billionaires started to get very seclusive. Um, I've seen videos of Bill Gates walking around in public and he got a pie in the face. Thought that was the funniest thing ever. Yeah. That could have easily been, you know, something yeah. fatal instead um, of a pie. They, they don't come out anymore. I don't see videos anymore of billionaires walking around. They're scared. And is that is that due to COVID or is that due to... Uh... That was before COVID. Go find me a video oh, in 2016. Okay. Go find me a video in 2016 of any billionaire walking around with just a few bodyguards. I've seen one. That was with Trump. And he had like 80 people with machine guns next to him on all sides even if there was snipers i'm sure he had men in other buildings watching i mean like billionaires do not expose themselves like they used to like look yeah, at elon musk I've, I've seen videos of him he has like he's in the middle of a field in i think texas and it's like dead space and then he has armed guards walk around no one's touching him like he's it does it's not gonna happen I guess, yeah, it's probably moved on since the days where, like, literally you just shoot Ronald Reagan because he's in yeah. the middle of the street. Well, I, mean, that didn't we even work. I mean, we can't, we can't anymore because the billionaires are scared of us. And also, we are the only country to have, what, 300 million guns? I oh, mean, yeah. like, they, they have a right to be scared. I would be scared. I guess that, that slow, quickly devolved away from um, actually being about a re religion, but that's fine. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's go back to that. <laughs> so you were saying that we need to make a new religion. Yes, we do. And you think what pe people need religion for purpose making and yeah, there isn't a suitable substitute for, for that? Yeah, religion is not for everyone. Like I said, religion is for offloading the important questions of life onto a already thought out idea. So it's what is my purpose? How do I conduct myself? Where is my community? Things like that. It doesn't function as well anymore. Christianity is declining like mad Everyone says Islam is growing, but it's not. It's just keeping up with population. Everyone's like, oh, Islam is growing like crazy. Christianity is growing like crazy. It, it, if you look at comparisons from 1950 to today, and you look at population density from 1950 to today, it's not actually growing. It's just keeping with population. Um, it's stagnant, which tells me it's not working anymore. And I think there's too many people like me who love the, the concept of Christianity who read the Bible because I think it's very important concepts in it. But Wait, why it do you love the concepts of Christianity? They're universal concepts that uh, improve quality of living. Like what? You ever read the Gospel of Thomas? Uh, yeah, I think okay. so. 
it's, have... it's, it's not about Jesus the Christ. It's Jesus like the mentor, the wise. It's very yeah. secular. Yeah. If you Is read that one the, of the um, yeah, if you read text. right, if you read the Bible from a secular perspective, it it kind of remind it reminds you like it's not exactly Aesop's fables. It's more like you know Nietzsche um, or it's um, Dostoevsky, something like that. It's something that has inherent truth built into the stories. And that shouldn't be ignored. But there's also a cultural framework that can be adopted, unlike Dostoevsky or Nietzsche. I can't make a church on Nietzsche, but I can make a church on the Bible because it gives me the structures to do so, which is where the community comes in. And it's very useful for offloading because there's just so many people today who cannot come to terms with the fact that when they die, it's just black. It terrifies them. And so they have to offload that concept onto a religion that makes them be able to wake up without wanting to blow their brains out. So would you rather, would you describe yourself then as a pragmatist, your top concern or one of them isn't truth or like that, that people believe what's true about the world rather that they just believe what helps them get by and what works for I mean, their I, I, day-to-day I guess, living? I guess I'm pragmatic. My All of my fears stem from spiraling out of control. Not me, but the world. I think people should be able to make their own decisions, but they should also have the capacity, if they are not intelligent enough or mentally strong enough to do so, to put their faith in something that's already thought out for them. Because a lot of people are just like that. They can't, If I went to a Christian, now obviously this is like the, the Baptists, right? They're very communal, very ritualistic. They don't pretend to be. Like they pretend not to be, but they are. If you ask them, they they automatically get the the mental walls. Like you hit a little bunch of mental walls. Like you, yeah, you talked I've, about. I've this. had that happen before. Um, yeah. It doesn't work because they their their minds are not able to comprehend difficult truths, and they're typically born like that. In my experience, I've met. You think so? Oh, one hundred percent. I talked to you about my theory about um, genetics, about um, the conservatives and the liberals. Um, the agricultural agricultural yeah, and the hunter gatherers i think that it has something to do with it and i think that depending on what gene you get is how you can comprehend it i don't think it's going to evolve i think it's just going to stay that way because we've had religion since day one and we've had secularism since day one there have been people who are like uh i'm not going to worship the sun it's just a sun i don't want to get naked and dance around a campfire to it like there's always been two groups of people and i think that comes from our genetics so we need religion for people because there's people who cannot go throughout life without a God watching out for them. It terrifies people sometimes. It terrifies me sometimes knowing there's no one watching me. I'm on my own. I have to protect myself. I have to decide for myself what truth is, what I believe, how I should conduct myself. That's extremely terrifying to people. And sometimes they cannot conceptualize it. It's like trying to uh, explain to a schizophrenic there's not a demon in the corner screaming at you. He sees it. It's there to him. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can medicate him, but it doesn't solve the problem. The problem's still there. You just made it disappear for a little bit. The problem yeah. is not solvable because it's there's a it's a neurological problem. Like you, you can't fix that. You can suppress it. You can't fix it. And so religion is not, I'm, uh, I'm not saying religion is a mental illness. It's very important for society, but people need it to function. Because otherwise, it's going to be like this schizophrenic. They're not getting their medicine. And so they're going to end up blowing their brains out because they're scared of demons going to kill them. Right? That's the same thing. They need 
religion so they don't freak out because of how much of a burden existence is. And it is a burden for a lot of people. I guess I'm, I mean, in, in many ways, I, d- I do think you can correctly attribute things to genetics um, and, and just, you know, that's how you're born. That's how you'll be. But I feel like maybe compared to you, I have more hope that you could talk to a person who has those mental walls currently and over time, perhaps just by surrounding them with people who disagree with them. Like, so this is the thing I find in, in, in today's culture a lot that people are very uncomfortable with um, putting things down to genetics and want to put everything onto environment, nurture rather mm-hmm. than nature. And I find com- compared to most other people, I'm comfortable putting things on nature. But in this particular circumstance, I feel like it might be more down to nurture, not not, not more as in like over 50%, but more than what you're saying. So for instance, if, if you have somebody who you would at first think that they need religion, they've got those mental walls up, they can't handle the big questions, but then you maybe through their own choices or whatever experiments, let's say, put them in uh, a group of people who all are happy, healthy atheists and then have that person live among the atheists for 20 years, I think they would, the brain and their patterns of thought and those mental walls would change and perhaps completely come down over time. I feel like these things can be learnable to a certain extent Mm -hmm. rather than just being, oh, you're born with the religious gene, so we need to make a religion for you. Yeah, so I would agree with that, but I, I don't, there are people who are more resistant than others, number one. Number two, yeah. what are you going to give them to supplement it? So when you explain I mean, to them, oh, well, let's talk about converts. So people who go from Christian to non-Christian, right. usually they go crazy. I mean, go find me a, a, an atheist. who Go find me a Christian who turned into an atheist that's not screaming at people at the top of his lungs on Facebook <laughs> that God is they, not real. Like, they I go crazy. Like that might be um, a period, or like a, a section of, of people's transition where they – used to have these predetermined answers and now they don't. So they yeah. lash out or don't know how to handle that. But then after a few years, they calm down and get used to their I, new I, life. So remember when I talked to you about on Discord, transitional religions. I think that's if you what you want, what you're saying. I agree. Society is capable of functioning without a God complex. I'm referring to like deity God, not like the psychological God complex. Right. Yeah. The question is, how do you get them there? Because I'm not, I'm not for social engineering. I'm also not for, I I bring back Plato's cave. I can drag you out of the cave. You're going to run back in the cave. You need a transition period. Or I can drag you out and you're like, oh, fuck, all this was fake. I'm going to go yell at people back in the cave and tell them that it's all fake. It's like, no, that's not productive. We need to give you, Carl Jung is a very good, foundation for a transitional religion so it was jordan peterson it's mystical it's pseudoscience but it's not bad because there's also is the scientific aspects of it i think jordan peterson when he dies very likely could develop into a new taoist religion i really do believe that i think it's going to be a western taoist religion it'll be like saint jordan peterson you think there's still capacity for completely new religions to spring up in i fully am anticipating I am fully anticipating within the next 25 years for a messianic figure to come out of China. Every single 2000, every 2000 years we get a messianic figure. We had Buddha. We had, um, what's the Greek God one that mimics Christ. Exactly. 
you know what I'm talking about? There's a few that are very similar. To yeah, so they, every every culture has a Christ figure, but Christians attribute that to something different. Um, but I can go back and I can look like what was it, like four or five thousand years ago there was Buddha, and then the exact same figure came out in Greece, and the exact same figure came out in Mesopotamia. Every single two thousand, every two thousand years, wherever there's maximal tyranny, a religious figure comes out. China had um, Confucianism. There was Confucius. That was like a deity to them almost. He wasn't because they're atheistic society. But it essentially was that. I think they're going to have an, another Confucius because they've been in tyranny so long. Something's going to pop out. Just like in the Hebrews, they had Christ pop out. There was tyranny for so long. This These figures just pop out of nowhere. And I don't know how this works. I don't know if it's the earth overcorrecting. I do think the earth is alive in a way. I think it's an organ organism. I don't know how to explain it, but when I look on like the Noah maps on like the internals of the earth, how it like moves, have you seen the inside of the earth? It moves like it's a freaking organ. It's weird as hell. And there's also like magnetism. So you can see like with the auras around like the interactions with the sun, the earth is something weird. I've never, I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. I, I feel like I, this is not backed by anything. This is my personal belief. The earth is right. somehow alive. I think that it does interact with us in some way, sending us these people. Yeah. I would call the Earth an organism, but I think I would mean that more in a metaphorical sense. I, I understand that, but I, I just, I don't know. I've, after reading into catastrophism, I, I did not anticipate for me to interpret the Earth as something more alive than it actually is, but I do. So, uh, But yeah, I do think that tyranny will create new religions. Although new religions definitely spring up, like major ones, more than two thousand years, because you know you got uh, Jesus and then you've got Muhammad. And you've the question got, uh, is Adam how long? Yeah, the question is how Adam long? Nice uh, Mormon guy. Yeah, uh, how long do they stick around though? And also, do they actually go mainstream? So Mormonism is a branch off. It's not actually a religion. It's a cult. The reason it's a cult is because it takes a religion and then it modifies it and adds to it. Well, isn't that the same thing with uh, Islam and Christianity? Um, yeah, both, they both, both modifying they, Judaism. Yeah, they, they both come from Judaism. That's correct. But they were both adapted. So Islam is adapted to Middle Eastern culture. Christianity is adapted to Western culture. And Mormonism is adapted to Utah. Um, yeah, it's something else, man. Um, I actually don't know. Well, and the Marxism is also religion. It's the worship okay, well, of. Th- th- this is something where, where I go. Um, definitely disagree with a lot of people who are here to say these types of things. Depends on what you mean by religion, because when I think of the word religion. I feel like I associate that with supernatural belief, right? Um, not not just strict adherence to an idea, because mm-hmm. then there's so, so much more as a religion than I feel like makes sense to call religion. So it's it's the worship of the social man. So when you read Karl Marx, when you read Paulo Freire, a lot of the Marxist fundamentalist, um, Herbert Marcuse, and his one dimensional man, these people are literally insane, but they are creating the fundamentals for a religion the way they conduct themselves, what they ask for, things like that. You know, in the black feminist movement in the 1980s, you saw the, a lot of them, it, the the fervor they had, it looked so similar to the Christians back in like the 1940s with the Bible numbers. Like it just, it looked too much like a religion, the way they conduct themselves, the way they speak, the rituals, things like that. It's too religious for me to ignore it. And so when I say Marxism is religion, it's a religion. Sorry, it looks like a religion without being a religion. And so I have to call it a religion. Like it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, but it's not a duck. It's like I can't I can't separate the two. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I understand that. I I, I get the uh, the reason why you would call it that. It's like people say they claim all sorts of things are are, are religions. Like veganism is a religion, and it's like is it? Well, that's a lifestyle. I mean, Marxism is literally obsessed with revolution. Like they're talking about overthrowing the oppressive systems. And so Marxism evolved from overthrowing the proletariat. Or sorry, the the new left is Mar- is Marxism. Their proletariat is like everything. It's race. It's gender. It's anything that is no- that is considered normal society, like women. Like define a woman. They're like, oh, I can't. That's them deconstructing everything. They are obsessed with deconstructing things into nothingness. And it's just like, okay, once you deconstruct everything, what's the plan? Oh, we're gonna usher in the utopia. What utopia? Well, we don't know what it is yet. Great. So you're going to light the world on fire and something's going to spontaneously grow, right? And they, they never have an answer. And Herbert Marcuse even said this in his One Dimensional Man book. It was a, a theory and pedagogy of the oppressed. I mean, they don't have a plan. It's just light the world on fire and something beautiful will come out. And it's just like, name an instance in history where that actually happened. I can't. And so they're obsessed with just destroying everything. Like, and it's just like, oh, my fi- like my three-year-old who can't speak as a, a, a officially transgender, I'm going to go mutilate their genitals and, you know, move on with my day. And it's just like, what what is the point of this other than religion? Like, you are acting with religious fervor with no direction, and you're destroying society for no other reason than you're angry. It's like a religion of nihilism. It's so weird. The three-year-old example is uh, obviously an exaggeration, but... Um, well, you know what I mean. Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Marxism is almost like a religion of nihilism. It's like there's nothing to worship, so we're just going to deconstruct everything and revol and revolt, and then something beautiful will come out. Like I don't, I think it's just anger. It's a emo- it's raw I mean, emotion. They definitely have at least a few things that they uh, worship. Is like equality um, or equity? Yeah, equity. Um, yeah, that's one of them. Living to uh, enjoy life rather than work for someone else's dollar. So a lot of the the ways, like if you soften it a little bit, I can agree with it um, in in many ways, Marxism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm over-exaggerating, obviously, with some of my points, but I mean, it. <laughs> I think you get the point. <laughs> yeah, the biggest way I would disagree with you on the uh, religion thing, I already covered this a little bit, but uh-huh. bears saying again, uh, just that, yeah, I don't think it's um, necessary. I don't think it's good either. I mean, I think it's, it, it, obviously in ways it can be good. There are aspects of it that are good, but I don't think those things are like, I don't think religion is the only place you can get those things. For course. instance, well, you're talking before about like, what's someone going to do? Um, if they go from Christian to atheist, they're going to be crazy or whatever. I think a lot of the ways like people, a lot of the time don't care about those big questions of like, uh, what is the meaning of life and all that. Um, they care more just about you know their own happiness and day-to-day uh experiences so i feel like the thing that's most important to take away from religion and put into secular environments is having that strong community and uh-huh. having like you know a support network of other people that you know and interact with on a regular basis and feel like even have rituals with that aren't necessarily supernaturally based rituals but uh-huh. Well, and then I have I, my biggest concern with that is whenever we get rid of religion, we typically have tyrants and nihilism run rampant. And we saw this in the 20th century. So Darwin came out with this theory of evolution. A hundred years passed and we had a hundred million people die from communism. Now, 
that is the casualty rate of a religious war. So uh, my issue is when we get rid of religion, are we going to have a global system of the 20th century where we just have tyrants run around slaughtering everyone before we actually figure out that we don't need the tyrants and we can just be a community? Because I don't trust human nature not to overreact, which is why I wanted a transitional. I'm someone who's not a risk taker. I don't like risk at all. I mean, the way I invest, the way I act, I don't like risk. So when I say I want to transfer human nature, or I want to transition us from a religious-based and a secular-based 50-50, and it is about 50-50, to completely secular, I need a trans. There needs to be a bridge. Otherwise, we're going to lose a lot of people in the process by my like unnecessary death. So I feel like there needs to be something for them. I mean, it's like me. I like, you believe evolution, right? Like we were once fish. Sure. Okay, so a human and a fish both need oxygen. Yeah. One of them needs to be in water to get the oxygen. One of us has already evolved enough. I can't pull the fish out of the water and be like, "You breathe oxygen. Why are you dying? I'm getting upset with you." The fish yeah. needs to be submerged in water, but we both need the same thing. I feel like with religious with the religious mindsets, they just need that extra bit of water to kind of move over with it. Yeah. I get that. Although I, I think rather than transitioning through creating a new religion that um, is like a stepping stone or bridged to that completely secular way, maybe it would be transitioning by education and getting people to detach from their uh, mystical beliefs, maybe on an individual basis. So you you, you have it like a, a slow trickle over time of the fewer and fewer percentage of the populace is religious so the transition would be in numbers rather than in what they believe right like you know they wouldn't go from this religion to this religion but it does seem that that's happening because i've definitely noticed that with a lot of people that probably 30 years ago 40 years ago 100 years ago for sure would have been like christians but now it seems like they're into loosely defined spiritual things they like astrology they like healing crystals and all that so it's like they still need something that's yeah, definitely. Uh, wild to believe. Yeah, people's beliefs in general, I feel like, are getting softened, even among the people who still call themselves Christians. Like, you know, they don't they don't preach the same hardcore, right. um, closer to fundamentalism that they probably would have longer ago now. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what I told you about, how religions over time become more and more right. calm until they become uh, not useful. Well, they definitely have yeah. to. It's like... Religion, just by the nature of it, because you are calling this book or this set of ideas the literal word of God. So obviously there is no room whatsoever for this idea to be self-corrected from the inside, because how how would you, Mm -hmm. you know, say that God was wrong? It has to be corrected from the outside. You have to have the rest of society. That was one of the reasons that was one of the reasons the Catholic Church didn't release the Bible at first. Oh, yeah. Is because it needed it needed to change with society, and Constantine understood. Yeah, and that. like they only had it written in Latin, and nobody spoke Latin except for the monks. Yeah, yep that that was one Latin. of the reasons is they needed it to be fluid, um, and it wasn't until the printing press that um, it got destroyed. Right. Yeah, yeah, the illuminated manuscripts, the just writing each one by hand, editing it as they go. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I guess we're in it's still in agreement with the the general theme of transitioning towards secularism just how we would go about it is a bit different of course so um for a, a final section of the podcast which topic would you like to talk about if any we hit a few of them in in passing all right so i i will leave out my conspiracy uh from like uh the following topics that way i don't ruin the rest <laughs> of the podcast <laughs> uh, 
Okay, one thing we could talk about, because uh, it's higher on the list of things, is the the IDW, the Intellectual Dark Web. Oh, the Intellectual Dark Web. I love those people. They're my people. So, yeah, what is it you like? Okay, well, I guess first maybe you can describe for the listeners what the Intellectual Dark Web is, because I feel like most people probably haven't heard of that, and then what you like about it. Gotcha. It was created by, uh, or it was the term was coins by Barry Weiss. Um she worked for the New York Times before she left. She was a, probably one of the the last good reporters um, of the time before everyone went literally insane. And she interviewed a bunch. Uh, she interviewed Eric Weinstein, and he coined the term intellectual dark web, which was a system of independent thinkers, and they were self-funded, meaning they didn't have to say what everyone anyone wanted to hear they could say whatever the hell they wanted to because they funded themselves and there was no maybe, maybe rather than self-funded it was more like crowdfunded yeah well it's yeah crowdfunded they're, they're kind of like their own individual cult right. followings sam harris uh jordan peterson ben shapiro i mean that's a combination of left and right i mean eric weinstein's about as hippie as you can get just like joe rogan i mean they're is joe all, rogan hippie he has become less so hippie because I feel he's like he's lo- only hippie in the sense that he right, so likes drugs. he's a complex beast. He is a lot like me. He is an idiot who likes to sound smart and he knows a lot of things. So like I fall victim to the same traps as him. The only difference is, is I actually will fact check myself. So like I'm creating a video right now. I literally fact check myself and half my video disappeared Yeah, because it's wrong. So Joe Rogan will do that. He'll just talk out of his ass and just like, oh, um, I heard that. Well, it's very um, easy to do that in a podcast. The president. Well, definitely. But like, I, I mean, I when I say my opinions, I don't say them as facts. Like he'll say things and drop bombs like they're facts. Like it's like, oh, uh, Justin Trudeau eats babies. And it's just like, where the hell did that come from? He didn't actually say right. that. I'm just saying it's like yeah. really crazy like that. But um, they, I love that the fact that it's uncensored ideas. And I've been finding more and more of these people. And so the intellectual dark web is kind of dead. Yeah in the sense of what it was. It's not a group of people. It's it's more of an identifier. It's like if you are an independent thinker who is not like academia. Academia is subordinate to the money people. The money people are almost always corrupt or insane. The money, the science almost always says whatever the money tells it to say until it's no longer convenient for the money, which is why so often you see papers come out that are redacted 10 years later because it's no longer profitable for them to lie to you. And this is a huge problem. So I love going to these people. The on during the COVID pandemic, uh, Brett Weinstein yeah. was attacked by everyone. Yeah. He, I have never, I've never heard him say one time anything that was not backed by a scientific evidence and paper. He has not made any crazy claims. He has been so level-headed the entire time, and he's been saying this. He's like, everyone's Ivermectin, going insane. That's what it is. Yeah. Um. Well, he never even said. It. He was like, we don't know. All he asked was, why are you suppressing this? Like he used to ask all the time, like, why, why are you suppressing data? Why are you guys lying to us? Why are like, why is there so much secrecy? And they attacked him for asking those questions. And he's like showing the data and he's like, look, this study is not that great, but this is the data that we have. Let's look at this. And they attacked him for it. They're like, how dare you question the narrative? How dare you question what big pharma and the news media tells us? Because they tell me how to think. Remember, this is the new religion of the woke It's whatever the talking point of the day is for whoever is declared trusted news is officially God. And he would go against that along with Jordan Peterson. And I mean, Sam Harris sometimes, honestly, and Sam Harris is a little bit more 
trusting. Sam Harris has a lot of problems with Eric Weinstein these days. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, but he's also becoming a lot more aggressive. I noticed as well. But he is... Um, Eric Weinstein's also tired of everything. Like, if you go on Eric Weinstein's Twitter, he's literally calling everyone crazy. And he's quoting them. He's like, I don't understand what's wrong with you guys. Like, you're not scientists anymore. What are you doing? He's essentially calling bullshit where there's bullshit to be found. And people get mad at him for it. And I understand. Because if you have a, a system of democracy and truth, and that's collapsing, you have people like Sam Harris who want to defend the sovereignty. It's like, let's have faith in the system. And then you have Eric Weinstein, who's like, the system's literally on fire. Why is no one talking about this? And you have others who are like, the system's corrupt. So don't trust it. Eric Weinstein's in the middle. And so I like the intellectual dark web because I can get all the avenues of thought from a group of people. And I, it's podcasters in general can be considered intellectual dark web. But it's the Taurus itself is dead. It's, it's not like live yeah. like it used to be. But I love it because I can get voices and thoughts that I otherwise did not consider without any kind of lens, which is what I love about it. One problem I have with really the whole concept of uh, people crowdfunding uh, to basically self-support their own uh, careers and then like their podcasters or perhaps their journalists or whatever it is they are, uh, and then they go off and tell people things that will believe them. It's like they kind of gather this uh aura of credibility that you know they actually know what they're talking about when it's essentially like maybe they do well it's a it's a secular version of religion (laughs) no it is they're deity they're they're like they're like prophets they are and i can i know this because i can go on their followers web on their you know social media accounts all they do is like for example jordan peterson you go on half of his followers um and i do this all the time i go on their twitter and i look at people who give positive comments I'll click on it. All he does is reshare Jordan Peterson. Yeah. That's his profit. That's all he hears. And he pays him money. I mean, these people have a lot of insight to say, but don't take everything everyone says, take with a grain of salt. In a world where free will exists, nothing is absolute, including truth. Wait. Because if free will exists, I can use my words to cover the truth, distort the truth, do away with it. So you need to take everything you hear take sit on it don't just believe it outright do you think free will exists? Um, and that's it's hard so we live in a hierarchical society hierarchical society so when we have elitists who manipulate social structures it makes it difficult to say but do i have free will yeah if i want to like wake up in the morning my free will is linked to natural order though so it's it's difficult to ask. So when you say it like as natural order exists and my free will is bound to the natural order of reality. And so I have to act with a natural order. If I want to have the free will to fly off a cliff and float into the sky and not fall to my death, I don't know if that's the correct word to use. I don't think free will is the metric of measurement we want to use there. Free will is I think something, I do it within the boundaries of natural order. So it's like it's they're together. And so when people say free will doesn't exist, they almost always separate the two. They're not separable because we have to be grounded in something. Separate. Okay. So when I say free will doesn't exist, what I would mean is that you're not in control of the things that come into your head. Okay. So that would be different. So when you say free will, what is will? We have to define what the will, the terminology we're using here. 
uh yeah so like the desire to do things i suppose and the doing of those things so in my from my understanding free will is thought action right am i being controlled my thoughts are being controlled that make sure my actions do different things but you're referring to something else is putting thoughts in my head that are out of my control that make me act is that what you're saying well not like a being or anything like that but uh just the fact that you're your brain, your your conscious awareness isn't the like it's not creating these things from nothing. They're 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 coming about before entering your your conscious awareness. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, there there's a um, esoteric saying: "There's nothing new under the sun." So there there's a concept of collective unconscious or collective conscious, or I think it's unconscious. Yeah, it's collective unconscious. Yeah. Where like every there's like. I don't know if it's, I, this is really hard to scientifically prove. I don't, I think we're a thousand years away from being able to even measure this. But like when you have a bunch of brains that are connected, I feel like there, there is some kind of connection between earth and the humans. And there has to be some kind of informational transfer based on magnetic waves. Do you have a dog? Weird. My dog, sorry. Oh. Yeah. Pomeranian is not mine. That's my uh, girlfriend's. When, I feel like that there's almost like an unconscious transfer of energy. And I, I don't know if it's stored in certain places. Like maybe we're like, because the earth has magnetic fields. I feel like those can contain things that we can't measure. And so this is pseudoscience, but at the same time, we don't have technology to measure this. So, I mean, I feel like as of right now, I have like 25% credibility in this claim. So like <laughs> we have thoughts, right? That are everywhere. Everyone has their own thoughts, but like what if those had already existed before? And then they were just circulating and they go into your head. And that's also based off of what you've experienced and your genetics. I feel like they're the missing factor of free will is the collective unconscious. However, the hell that manifests is where okay. our thoughts come from that we can understand. Let's, let's, let's say that does exist though. Then that's still outside of your I have control, no idea. Right? I, I have no idea how to prove that exists by the way. So well, that's just speculation. Well, right. I don't believe that it does exist. But um, if it did, then it would still not be something that's within your control. So you've got you know your genetics, Correct. you've got your environment that is influencing you, and it's all all its myriad ways of what you're seeing, eating, hearing, listening to, and where you're going, and the people that are talking to you, and all that that are influencing what's yeah. going to arise in your brain and this collective unconsciousness. It does, I feel like it's incoherent to then say that you can work outside of all of these things and somehow intervene and put in a thought yourself. It just came from yourself rather than having its influences stem from the world around you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it's also difficult because, I mean, I've been in the mental health field for ever. I don't know of any person, and I've met a lot of smart people who have been in this for like 40 plus years. They don't understand how the brain works. So for us to say free will doesn't exist without understanding the mind, like I don't think that's fair. Like we remember with MK Ultra when we did that in the eighties, they found out that like you can't control a brain. It just turns to mush. So like every time they tried to do mind control, they found out you can't every time you try to force a brain to do something that you want, violating its free will, it collapses and they start being a vegetable chewing on the tongue. I would say that their experiments were hardly comprehensive though. You know, there are probably ways that we'll discover in the future to control brains. Yeah, well, it would ha- well, the problem is our brains receive and send out electromagnetic uh, impulses. And so I feel like for us to, 
we would have to understand how to read those first. I don't know how you would take organic matter that transfers signals that we can't even like understand how they work and build a machine to read that. Well, so we're obviously know. not there right now, but I feel like, you know, you can send an electrical impulse through somebody's arm and make their finger move without their voluntary. So that's the, that, that's the, we, we understand how the central nervous system works. That's right. easy. That's so, just, that's literally pulses. I'm referring to cognitive unconscious. Sure. But I mean, it's still, your brain still operates on the same mechanics of electrical uh, impulses. I don't know that to be true though, because when we use electrical impulses on the brain, it, cr- it can cause inflammation. It distorts thought patterns. I sure. Mean, yeah. I mean, it, I don't, I, it's, it's much I less simple. Yeah. I oh, mean, hundred percent, but I, I think, um, I mean, as far as it seems like we've studied, it seems like it, it comes down to electricity, um, sending information through, you know, your synapses. And I whatnot. think so. But also we found out that, um, our brains require a certain kind of magnetic field for it to operate functionally. If you remove, if you just, if you disrupt the magnetic fields that are currently surrounding you, your brain loses uh, concept, uh, certain aspects. So like you, you start losing thing, direction, though. for example. You know, electromagnetism is, is just one force. It's like, you know, combined, they, they go hand in hand with electricity. Right, okay. gotcha. yeah. yeah, I don't know how you would hijack that. You would need to involve physicists and as well as psychologists. Right. So I don't, and I, I don't know how that would work. Well, yeah, I'm saying we wouldn't be able capable of doing that now, but I think it would be maybe like you still use the same concept of sending in specific places or in specific ways electrical impulses into the brain, but you would have to in-depth study exactly what this is, how this is going to affect when I press this area uh-huh. with this electrode. And we don't have that information right now. Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk literally tried this a couple months ago with his Neuralink. Yeah. Um, he had 25 monkeys. Brains. Yeah, he, he literally killed 15 of them. Yeah. Like, and the Neuralink he has is very sophisticated. This is not something primitive. Like this is like cutting edge technology. And all of the chimpanzees became very aggressive, and they gnawed off all their fingers. Yeah, basically, I, I don't know if you have to understand exactly how the brain works to think that free will doesn't exist. Maybe you just have to understand physics and the fact that you know. So if we're gonna say free will doesn't exist, I think we need to create another word then. Yeah, I guess it does get kind of. Um, because I think we're using the same word. We're we're using the same word for too many different things. When that's people talk true. about free, when people talk about free, well, and this is the fun of the English language. We we don't have enough words. That's why I like Arabic so much. <laughs> but um, we need we need to figure out like, well, especially in today's day and age, we have this outdated vocabulary. I think we need to start creating new words. Eric Weinstein does this all the time. He created the term embedded growth obligation. That specifically refers to continuous growth being necessary for the continuation of society to work. But when the embedded growth obligation stops, continuous growth stops. And because we operate, everything we do in our society uses continuous growth as a metric. They can't comprehend it not happening. But he figured out a term. It's called an embedded growth obligation. We built society to continue to grow. That's great. That's an awesome term that I can now use to describe certain aspects of society that I I could not do before. No one's doing that. Like no one's using, like, I think we, we need to have a bunch of very smart people sit down and start breaking down like free will. Like right. that, there needs to be three or four words put into there. Sorry. That's a little separate. Oh, I get that. Cause yeah, some people mean just mean free will to mean the fact that they can move their body. They're in control of their own actions, that kind of thing. And they sense yeah. that like, you know, somebody else isn't making them do it. I guess um, when I use the word, I'm just referring to the fact that, uh, 
yeah, I can I can move my hand, but the f- the fact that I just decided to move my hand wasn't something that I truly came up with because it's I'm not in control of my thoughts. And so, well, my it's thoughts also a separation. It's also a separation of the frontal lobe from the rest of your brain. The frontal lobe is a lot more easy to understand. So like when I do an action and I understand what the action was, that action likely came from the frontal lobe. When I do an action that I don't fully understand, like why did I just do that? That likely comes from the primitive side, which for some reason being older, we have a harder time understanding it. And I guess it depends too on what you mean by like the self, because obviously the things that I'm doing and my thoughts come from me, but they don't come from me when me means my conscious awareness and experience because not everything that's happening in my brain is i'm not aware of it you know so something that's happening in my uh, basal ganglia i have no control over from the experience like the ego sense of it like my eyes what i'm seeing my, my senses i can't just make my basal ganglia like activate fear like that just happens yeah. and i feel like it basically is the same way with all things i just feel like after the fact i have a sense of ownership over my actions right like i have a good rational explanation of why i did that thing and the fact that i did do that thing even if by i it's more than just my conscious experience it's my whole brain and i just take credit for it Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah uh i talk about free will too much on this podcast though so i'll stop it's something well no if people talk about a lot what they think about the most so for me i'm terrified of tyrants and so i talk about elitists and conspiratorial shit like that because it bothers me that it exists i want the threat to go away and the threat exists and so for you free will is a problem so you want to talk about it which makes perfect sense yeah so lately i've been trying to keep these podcast episodes like max two hours under two hours preferably because i've gotten some feedback that people prefer shorter length rather than like three four hours so I think around now we can end the podcast. But before we do, do you have any sort of, you've already mentioned a few books, but if you could direct the audience to one book in particular that, that you think they should read, which one do you think it would be? Uh, I'd have to think about that. Yeah, take your time. So The Lucifer Principle is obviously my favorite. Um, I recommend that to Who's that everyone by, by Howard Bloom. Okay. It's, it's a very, very well done breakdown. I have one of my favorite books from when I was like 19 was a book called Hard Times Create Strong Men by Stefan Arnio. I don't suggest reading it because it's a mess. But if you are starting out on your intellectual journey, it's got a lot of exposure. In terms of cycles, like cycle theory, which is what I was talking about earlier with like, you know, the elitists and things. There's a lot of books you can read, like The Great Wave, The Fourth Turning, things like that. Um, oh, another one, A Hunter's Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. That was one that I read that I was, thought was really good. But no, if you want to pick one, the Lucifer Principle, 100%. Okay. Howard Bloom went literally insane, by the way. Um, <laughs> but he, his books before he went insane were wonderful. <laughs> How did he go insane? Do you mean lost touch with uh, right, he, reality? He, so a lot, of, a lot of the smart people, who's an example of this? The, a lot of the postmodernists, they, they kind of become political. And they become too political. Who is the one old guy that was like a professor that's supposed that's still alive? Um, he's on a lot of videos sometimes. What the hell was his name? I'm not sure. It wasn't. It wasn't the the pedophile one. It was the other one. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, he he. They always get so political when they get older, and I don't know why. It's so annoying. But they're like wonderful people, and then like they get old and insignificant, and then they just pick a hill and they just spew out hatred. 
and insanity all the time. Like, go on Howard Bloom's YouTube channel, like, read his book, and then go on his YouTube channel. Like, he's literally a crazy person right now, but he wasn't in 1990. (laughs) Yeah, reading the synopsis of this book, The Lucifer Principle, it seems like it is in, at least from first glance, in direct opposition to Richard Dawkins' The Selfish Gene. Have you read that? Yeah, so I think The Selfish Gene, when was that written? Like, 70s, I think. Let me look it up. Yeah, I think he, I think Howard Bloom, so Howard Bloom and the Howard Bloom Institute, it studies groups. Yeah, so he wrote every book Howard Bloom wrote was the study of groups. Um, so Global Brain, um, all of his different books. The Lucifer Principle is the foundational book. If you only read one of his books, just read that one. It's on Audible. Um, you can just listen to it. Spend twelve hours of your life doing that. Do you primarily read books like with your eyes, or do you use uh, audiobooks? I do. I, I do both. Uh, when I'm doing work, I have to do audiobooks uh, during the evening. If I didn't have time to read or I didn't listen to podcasts when I was in the middle of work or when I wasn't on a call or the pair or something, I'll, I will read. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been one, one question I wanted to ask you. Sorry to interrupt again. Is um, in the beginning of this episode, you said that you do operations. But what does that what does that actually mean? Like, what is your job? So in pale? health, in healthcare, in healthcare, um, you have clients and you have clinicians. The clients almost never pay themselves. You have to work with insurance companies. My job is to work with clinicians to obtain information clinical that meets a criteria. I then have to negotiate with a payer or an insurance company, whether it's Aetna or whatever, and I have to relay to them criteria. So I have to have a baseline understanding of everything the clinician knows on top of other things. So I could actually, I'm not a licensed clinician, but I could do a clinician. I could do counseling if I wanted to. I know how I used to do it. But I, I kind of go the next step up by doing the operations side. It's called operations because my job is to communicate information, negotiate, and then ensure that we receive payment so we can stay open. Okay. Hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of like I'm I'm not a third. I, my job could be a third party, but yeah. most healthcare facilities do have what's called utilization review. It's are we utilizing our resources well? Um, like, is it like receiving the money and then... Uh, review for like case reviews hmm. all right well um do you have any parting words for this episode uh sorry if i sounded like a conspiracy theorist that's not my intention <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean to sound like a like a crazy radical right winger that's not my intention but I, I happen to sound like that sometimes <laughs> well um i've said this a few times in the, the podcast but i feel like especially really all podcasts that anybody listens to like you were saying before take all the information you hear with a grain of salt because Especially what I say, because I just talk and I don't always know what I'm saying. Yeah, (laughs) speaking in like a conversation rather than something like a prepared video that you've written a script for, uh, it's very easy to... Well, half the time when when we talk, we don't even, we haven't articulated what we're saying. You know, like when we talk, we're thinking, we're just thinking out loud. Right, yeah. So it's it's very easy to be wrong or to overstate things in this kind of scenario. So uh, as long as like the gist of what we're saying makes sense then that's really the thing that matters i think yeah yeah well we definitely i'm gonna keep in touch with you uh i would love to do this again yeah um, we have definitely even even, even off camera even like off for screen i don't care well i'll totally do this with you i'd love to talk yeah that'd be so. cool definitely have a lot of topics that we could get back to in the future yeah, of course but, uh yeah for today that'll do it and thank you very much for listening to this episode and thank you for being on this episode jared uh <laughs> see you next time